0: on there we go there we go yeah there's a new wife a new Wi-Fi password so I think it's CTK guest S- capital C capital T capital K did you try lowercase guest CT okay I don't know what's going on sorry sorry I can't help you it's all gonna be on the screen this morning anyways okay so and and then we can we could go classic hard copy <laughs> if you want around the edges of the room sweet oh somebody's uh, there we go. Good stuff well hey um, we uh, we slipped away last weekend Lisa and I and, and went and did the uh, the family life today uh, marriage I think they used to call it weekend to remember but they don't call it that anymore and we had just a great time in Victoria and uh, man I just I want to tell you that because I can't highly recommend that enough actually uh, that it was just uh, so so valuable in terms of information and time time away together and um, it was just a, a sweet weekend, so they do that annually in Victoria and in uh, Whistler, I think they do it, and maybe Jasper or Banff, and I would just encourage you, if you want information about that, I can let you know, but um, point you in the right direction, but man, we had, a, we had a great time, and so it's good to be back this morning, and um, today we, what I thought I'd do is this, well, that, um, actually let's just pray, let's pray, and then we'll uh, dive into God's word this morning. Lord, we just thank you. Uh, For your word, we thank you, God, that we could talk about discipleship this morning and what it means to follow you, Lord, what the pathway is. And Lord, I I pray, God, that just as uh, we consider these things, as we come to your word this morning, you'd give us, Lord, that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, that you'd help us to understand, maybe as individuals, where we're at. Help us to understand, Lord, where you desire us to go. And, um, and so, Lord, I pray that you'd just bring clarity to our hearts this morning, clarity to our thoughts this morning about you and your kingdom. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet, is there a slide guy back there? Is Calvin back there? There he is. Okay. You got to stay with me this morning there, buddy. Um, sweet, so you can just go right to that first slide, Calvin. Right on. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about discipleship And, you know, we've concluded um, teaching through the New Testament and we're going to dive right back in pretty fast into some some verse-to-verse stuff. But I wanted to take a couple weeks and, and talk about discipleship. And I felt like coming out of the Gospel of John that that was like such a thrust in John's Gospel. Like we were in John chapter 21 and one of the things that we saw was this, is that Jesus was helping these men understand what it meant to live for him now that he was alive. They, they had suffered and and hurt and gone through the pain, some of them, of betraying him and the, the thought of knowing that he had died on the cross and had been buried and then they discovered the wonderful reality that Jesus was alive, that he'd been raised from the dead. And in John chapter one, where we were two weeks ago, Jesus began to show those men that what it means to live for him and what that looks like. See, there is resurrection power available for us to live for Jesus Christ today. And so one of the things about the kingdom of God is this, is that when we enter into the kingdom through new birth, sometimes we get this idea when we're born again that it's like arrival has happened. But that's not arrival. That's birth. That's the beginning of, of a pathway that the Lord wants to take us down, and that we're to to we're that we're to grow in. And so you know, I, I remember when I was uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I served a little bit in Powell River, and then we were in Surrey for a number of years before I came to the Sunshine Coast. And I was like uh, working in Wally with a bunch of kids, and we had a crazy youth group. Like we had uh, shootings twice on Friday night. <laughs> During youth group, I had like our kids lived on East Wally Ring Road. So if you're familiar with Wally, like that's where we were hanging out, and that's where our youth group happened. And we started doing discipleship with these kids. And I, as I was working with them, I thought, man, I don't, I don't know how to make disciples. How do you make disciples? I just like grab whatever curriculum's like cool or whatever I can find and like teach these kids. And so I was just throwing darts in the dark, and asking the Lord to help me uh, understand discipleship, and so I reached out, at that time, I reached out to, we were part of a denomination, and I I, I reached out to the head youth guy, I'm like, hey man, I don't like know what to do, is there like, is there, is there a way to disciple people, like I don't know, do I just tell kids to read the Bible, and this and that, and so we sat down, and I discovered that he was as lost as I was, and so I just uh, prayed that the Lord would like, show show me some direction and uh, and so this morning I want to just share some of the stuff that I've learned and, 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 and some thinking that I have with regards to disciple to discipleship. And so the first thing I just want to talk about is this just real quick as we dive into this. what is a disciple? What is a disciple? So that's the next slide, calvin and um, And so a disciple is this. when we talk about a disciple and what that means. There's kind of two roots to the idea of a disciple. A disciple is two things. Someone who follows someone else. In other words, they're looking to them for direction for their life and for a pattern for their life. And the second part of it is this, is that they're a learner. That that, uh, they're an apprentice. That they are patterning their life after someone else. And at the root of that word disciple is really, or, or it's the root for the word discipline, that you're disciplining your life in a pattern, that you're structuring your life in a certain way, disciplining yourself in a pattern after uh, another person. And the interesting thing about discipleship is this, is that Jesus invited men and women, men and women into that relationship. He would say what? Come, follow me. And they would drop everything. It's amazing. Drop, we, we see that in the Gospels, that, that they would leave, leave behind their trades and leave behind their, their communities and leave behind all sorts of things to follow Jesus, to, to enter into this relationship by invitation when he says, come and follow me. And they would enter in and they would surrender to him and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to learn from you, Jesus. I'm going to apprentice after you you, and, and, and what discipleship is this? To be a disciple is this. It's to surrender your will to another to become like them, and so that's what Jesus was inviting the 12 to do, and those who followed him in discipleship, come and surrender your will to me and, and learn to be like me, and so being a disciple means this. It means that I choose to learn from Jesus how he would live my life if he was in charge of my life. If Jesus is in charge of Matt, what would that look like? If Jesus was in charge of your life, what would, what would that look like? And so it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that you enter the kingdom by being born. And Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. So you enter by being born, but then you're made It's not by default. It doesn't happen by default. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will conform you into something. And so we want to enter into that pattern of of being made into the image of Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And so I want to get you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to bounce around a little bit this morning. Is that cool? And it'll be up on the screen. And... um, we want to look for a pathway in Scripture of discipleship. You ever got lost? Ever been, ever been lost on a path? I mean, just try and go up to Sprockets Park and navigate your way through. I know they've got maps up there, and every single time I get up there, I'm like, I don't know where I am and what trail I'm on and where this is going. You can get lost on a path, and we need a, we need a pathway for discipleship, and does the Scripture show us a pathway to learn from Jesus, to follow Jesus, to apprentice after Jesus, and to discipline ourselves after him in this relationship that he's invited us into. And so I want to just look at some scriptures that are going to help us with a pathway for growth, okay? And so Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says this. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. I, I think these verses are fascinating to me. Like this is a really interesting scripture because this tells us, as this writer of Hebrews, who's probably Paul, we don't know who it is, But he tells us as he writes to this group of people that there's a problem in their lives. And the problem is this, is that there's been a lack of growth. That there's been this expectation that they would be growing, that they would be becoming teachers, and it it hasn't happened. And so he wants to address it, to correct it, to get things back back on track. He's like, I want to tell you all sorts of stuff. I want to teach you lots of different things, but we haven't been able to like get past this certain level. And because of that, in fact, you're moving backwards. Your hearing's become dull. That kind of happens with age, right? (laughs) Interesting thought to go, wow, you know, that happens physically in a human body with age, hearing goes. And it's funny to think, wow, I wonder if that could happen spiritually like as you're aging in Christ, that your hearing gets worse. I mean, spiritual hearing. That's not a good thing, is it? Like, it's not good to lose your hearing. It's not good to lose your hearing. And so this writer wants to address this. Hey, hey, your ears are dull. You should be here. We're here. Let's fix this. Let's fix this. So the problem is there's no growth, that there's this expectation of growth. But there hasn't been any growth. And what we need to see is this, is that growth is like normal and growth is to be expected in the kingdom of God, spiritual growth. Like, let's just jump to the physical world for a minute. Imagine one of my kids isn't growing. Like, what would you do? You know you know how it is. When your kids are like little, you're like always, they're always getting measured. It's like, okay, they're this long. They fit in this percentile. They're, they're in the 90th percentile of length. They're in the seventy. 50th percentile of weight whatever it is we're like we're like measuring cuz we're looking for health is this kid healthy and I remember when when Isabella was little she she wasn't growing at the right rate so it was like hey the doctor started looking at her and like, hey she's fine there's nothing wrong with her but growth is growth is normal and it's natural and if s- someone's not growing then then you have to look at it and go, wh- why is that happening? Why is that happening? Because there's an expectation of growth. And, and physically, if, if just basically my basic needs, if a child's basic needs are met, they'll grow. It's kind of happens. It's like, I never told my kids grow. Hurry up and grow. I didn't have to. I'm like put the food there, make sure they get rest, make sure they get sleep, make sure they get their vitamins. They just grow by themselves. They grow by themselves. And it's interesting that the same thing should happen spiritually. I want to read to you from Mark chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. It's not on the screen, but it says this. The kingdom of God is as if a man scattered seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. It happens. You cast seed on the ground. It's like, explain this. Growth happens. Don't you love this time of year? Crocuses are popping up. See the buds on the trees in our yard. I'm like, woohoo! days are getting longer. There's like, there's like growth happening, and it's exciting, and I never told any tree in my yard, grow. I never said, flowers, come up. I didn't have to. It's like natural. That's what happens, and that's what should happen in the kingdom of God. Growth is natural. It's normal, it's expected, but there can be things that stunt growth. And one of them here that we see is is to become dull of hearing. That can happen spiritually. Jesus actually used parables. He says this in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. He says that he used parables because of people's inability to hear. Because they had dull ears, he said, and they had dull hearts. A dull heart. Listen to this. Matthew 13, 15. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus told the 12, and he was was quoting from Isaiah. I use parable because people have, dull ears. They have dull hearts. They have dull eyes. I'm trying to awaken them. I want to heal their ears. I want to heal their hearts. I want to heal their eyes. And and so when there is a lack of growth, like we see in Hebrews chapter 5 here, it is connected, interesting, to the ears. Your ears have become dull. You know, I I find that interesting because I think that one of the things that causes your ears to become dull is when the Spirit of God speaks to you and you fail to act on what the Spirit of God calls you to do. When there's like lack of obedience. It's like when you tell your kids, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. And they don't do it. And then something breaks down in the relationship. And the Lord's saying, do this, do this. The Spirit's prompting you and you ignore and, you, and your ears can be come dull. Now there's a pathway I believe in scripture and I want us to have a look at it this morning because I think that um, well the physical world always mirrors the spiritual world. We, we often think the other way. We think that the, 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 physic- the spiritual world mirrors the physical world but actually what we see is a mirror of what's happening spiritually and so when god gives us growth pictures of growth children young adults parents grandparents there's patterns in scripture that exist in in reality in 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 the spirit and so first of all i just want us to see this that growth is normal and growth is expected in the kingdom of god for a disciple turn with me in your bibles to uh, first corinthians chapter 3 And we're going to look at the first stage of spiritual growth. Can you guess what it is? A baby, right? Do you love babies? Everybody loves babies. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul speaks to a church who says, You're babies, you're infants. Let's check it out. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, 1 through 3. But I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for still you are of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? Now, some Things that I just recognize about this passage of scripture right away is this. Well, the first one's this, that who is, who is he speaking to? He calls them brothers. So that means this, if he's calling the brothers, he is speaking to people who are members of the kingdom of God. They're part of the family. They're part of the church. These aren't people that are outside the kingdom. These are people that are inside the kingdom. And he says, there's a problem. I want to address you as spiritual, And I can't. I have to address you as people of the flesh. I have to address you as carnal people. I have to address you as those who are still infants. You know, I think that one of the mistakes that churches tend to make generally is this, is that often, at least from a leadership perspective, is we paint a lot of people with the same brush sometimes. We go, okay, well, they go to church, they're in. They've been coming to CTK for a long time. They're, they're in. Or maybe, you know, we just, we just assume that everyone is on the same level, but Paul, Paul says this, spiritually speaking, he calls them infants. He says, I want to address you as mature. I want to address you as spiritual, but I can't. I think in the church, there are two types of infants. There are new Christians, naturally, if you've just been born into the kingdom of heaven, you're an infant. You're a babe in, in Christ. You're, you're an infant due to the relatively new experience of spiritual rebirth. So you're an infant. That's fine. That's great, actually. It's exciting because we love babies at CTK. Um, the second type of infant is, is what Paul's talking about here is carnal Christians, Christians who are living fleshy lives, they're, they're infants um, due to the fact that they haven't grown to maturity. It's like they've stunted in their growth. They entered the kingdom and that was it. That was seen maybe as the finish line. It's interesting, you know, just to think about, about this, like what are the characteristics of someone who's spiritually an infant? Well, well Paul talks about this here. He says, you can't, you can't handle certain food. You know that about a baby, right? Like when you had a baby in your house, what did you feed the baby? First thing you did was get a big steak, right, and cut it up. And then they took their teeth and chowed down on it. No. Boy, imagine a baby coming out with adult teeth. That'd be terrible. Look awful. <laughs> Babies can't chew meat. They can't. And so they have to be fed milk, They have to be nourished with milk. They don't have the ability to chow down and break down that meat so that it can be digested. In fact, their stomachs haven't even come to the place where they're able to to work to to digest such things. And so, so Paul says this, we're stuck on milk. And one of the reasons I know we're stuck on milk is he points out the characteristic of their life. He says there's jealousy amongst you. There's strife in your midst. You're behaving like humans. (laughs) That's a weird thing to say to humans. (laughs) You're behaving like humans. Well, that's my problem right there. It's interesting. How many of you guys have been, you don't have to raise your hand, but in a church over the years where there was strife, where there was jealousy, where there was backbiting, Look at, I want to tell you anytime you see that characteristic in a church, do you know what you're dealing with? Infants. Babies. Spiritual babies. You know, I think one of the things you could do is fight with babies and enter into jealousy and backbiting and strife or you can recognize, hey, there's infants in the midst. These people need discipleship. They need to be shown a pathway of growth, I can come alongside here and help this person. I, and, and you know what, I, boy, I just got to tell you, I'm sure thankful for our church because we have a lot of peace in this church. So I, I, I happen to believe there's not a lot of infants in our church. And I'm grateful for that. But it's interesting to just think about the infants. What happens with an infant if you give an infant solid solid food? Like, I mean, one of the first things an infant gets for solid food is on their first birthday, Right? and they put that big piece of cake and ice cream in front of them, and what happens to it? You know, that, that baby takes that, that cake and picks up the bowl and puts it on, its, on their head, and the ice cream runs down, and the cake is smeared all over the face, and you snap the photos, and you get the pictures, and it's like awesome, and it's cute, because it, a baby can't handle solid food, like even with the skill to get it in, in the mouth, and I, it's like, yeah, this goes on my head, right? It's interesting. Does this go on my head? If this is my food, what if we walked around like this all the time? It's ridiculous. But this is one of the things with a baby, is a baby doesn't know how to properly handle food. And so, you know, uh, as Paul talks here about the physical life, about, sorry, about uh, infants in Christ, spiritually immature I want to read to you a couple scripture verses Matthew chapter 26 verse 41 says this watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation the spirit is indeed willing but the flesh is weak here's one of the things about infancy a life lived in infancy a life lived in flesh a life lived in carnality as a Christian that's a weak life it's a life of weakness But there is strength in the life of the spirit. That's what Jesus wanted those disciples to know that that, that those first encounters after he'd been raised from the dead, that there's resurrection power to live. There's power and there's life for maturity. John chapter three, verse six says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There is a difference between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. In fact, Hebrews says the word of God is like a sword, and it separates the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. I need that because I've discovered about myself that I'm like a hundred percent sinner and a hundred percent saint, a hundred percent of the time. There's like flesh and spirit battling and at war all the time, and I need the sword of God's word to separate to help me. John chapter six verse. 63 says this, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And so Jesus said this. He said that that the flesh is of no help, that when we are seeking to live for the Lord, the flesh, there's like no strength in this flesh for spiritual things. And so he 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 told his disciples, my words, my words are spirit and they are life. So the first thing that I want you to see on the pathway of growth is this, infancy, that there is babes in Christ. The second is this, second stage of growth, a growing Christian. And I'm going to get you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. I love this verse. 1 Peter 2, second stage of growth as a growing Christian. It says this, like newborn infants, so like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So Peter talks about this. Now Peter and Paul were on the same page with this whole thing of infancy and growing. And, and Peter said, like a baby Like a baby longs for milk, I want you to long for something. I want you to crave after something. I want you to yearn for it. I want you to long for it. And I want you to long for pure spiritual milk. For milk. What's milk? You know, when I think about a baby, the physical world, milk, a mother's milk contains everything that that baby needs for life and for health. You don't have to cut up a steak. You, you don't have to even give a baby water to drink. A mother's milk has everything. Everything for health, everything for fighting off sickness, antibodies, vitamins, minerals, everything that's needed for growth is in a mother's milk. Isn't that amazing? God's design. You know why that's that design? Because the same is true spiritually. Everything you need for health, for life, for minerals, for vitamins, for sustenance, is in the pure spiritual milk of God's word. What is spiritual milk? Well, in Hebrews it says this, in Hebrews 5 it says, you you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by, the constant pra- by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then it says in Hebrews chapter 6, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance, dead works, and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washing, and the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and if God so permits, we will do so. Milk is the basics. That's what Hebrews chapter 6 tells us. It's the basics with regards to Christian faith. It's, It's everything you need for life. It's everything that you need for growth. It's interesting, Isaiah said this, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 8 and 10, speaking of the tables of this world. Listen to what he says about the tables of this world. See, we can choose where we're going to eat, what we're going to feast on. This is what he says about the tables of the world. For the tables are full of filthy vomit, with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from milk and taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Paul says you got to get weaned off of milk. But for that to happen, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. That's why we teach the word of God that way, line upon line, precept upon precept, chapter upon chapter, book by book. And, and milk, for a Christian, is this. Here's what milk is. Milk is pre, the precepts of God's word. Milk is the basic principles of God's word. Milk is God's word. And Peter says to these Christians, he says, milk is the source of your growth. You need to crave it. You need to long for it. You need to, to yearn after it, because it's going to be the source of, of your growth. The psalmist said this, how sweet are your words to my taste, Lord. How sweet are your words? They're sweeter than honey to my mouth. Well, you know, we should say that to, Lord, your, your word is sweet, man. It's sweeter than honey. Your word, Lord, this, you know what the scripture says about God's word? That it's worth greater value than gold. It makes me think of the promised land. You know, the promised land, they were, they were promised. The promised land is a land full of milk and honey. And we always think physically what that means. But Sometimes we've got to think about what that means spiritually, that it was a land where the word of God would be taught, that it was a land where the people had the opportunity to taste the sweetness of Jesus, the sweetness of God. You know, the scripture compares itself, the authors at different times, the, the word of God's compared to a hammer, that it can smash rocks in pieces. The word of God is com- compared to a fire that burns up chaff. The word of God is compared to honey and that it's sweet. You know, Ezekiel was commanded by the Lord to feed on the word of God. The Lord said this to him in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1 and 3. And he said to me, son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. It's talking about the word of God. The apostle John was told the same thing in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 10 it tells us this. John says, so I went and the angel, to the angel, so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll and he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And so I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Peter said this, crave pure spiritual milk. Long for it. The pure milk of God's word. The psalmist says this, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous together. More to be zi- desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned and keeping them, there is great reward. The word of God. Remember Samson? We like killed that lion, left its carcass laying there and then later he was coming down the path and he saw that Bees had made a nest in that carcass and there was honey and he dipped his hand in there and the scripture tells us that his eyes brightened. Honey does that. He love honey. I love honey. <laughs> Jonathan, when he was fighting the Philistines, Saul commanded, you know, nobody's to eat, sorry, the Amalekites, nobody's to eat until we've totally defeated these guys and he like put a curse on them and it was like stupid and senseless and Jonathan didn't know about it and he was hungry because he'd been in battle and he found some honeycomb, and the scripture says he took it and his eyes brightened. It's one of the characteristics of David that the scripture says when it speaks of him being a handsome man, that's what we get in English, but that's not what it's saying in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it means this, when, it called, when, he's, when he's called a handsome man, it means his eyes, there was something about his eyes because of the word of God, because of his love for the word of God, because of what was in his heart. The word of God will enlighten your eyes. And so if we're, we're going to grow, if we're going to be a growing Christian, we need to feast on the milk of God's word. I want to tell you a story. Uh, when, when, I was, when I was new here at CTK, within the first few months, I, I was teaching, a new pastor cut my teeth and the whole deal. And, and uh, one Sunday morning, I stood up here. This story is really meaningful for me. And uh, I opened the Bible I can't remember where we were I said, "Let's pray." And I prayed, and I opened my eyes, and I'm about to teach, and the Spirit of God pointed out to me. I looked around the room and I saw you, you guys see the Bible's everywhere? Every Bible in the room was gone, every single one. And the Lord said to my heart, "See, there's a craving for the Word of God. Give them the word." And I said, okay, Lord, got it, dog on a bone. <laughs> Peter says, crave, long for the word. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, he says, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, you gotta get a taste that God is good. You gotta taste. God is good. So we got a baby, we got a going Christian, A mature disciple. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. It says this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, I'm going to read from the NIV, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, what's a disciple again? A disciple's a follower, a disciple is a learner of Jesus, a disciple's an apprentice. I always think this, that when, as you get closer to Jesus, Jesus is always tightening the screws on you. He's always tightening the definitions. There's this broad sense to disciple. Everyone who follows Jesus is a disciple. But then Jesus narrows it. As you grow and you get closer to him, he goes, oh, hang on. If you're really my disciple, this is what it looks like. So there's a broad definition and there's a narrow definition. And, and John chapter 8, verse 31 tells us who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking uh, to those who had believed in him. These people were disciples. And he says, if you're really my disciples, this is, in scripture, it's a a clause, it's a legal clause, an if-then clause. He says, if you're really my disciples, you'll do this. You will hold to my teaching, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hold to the teaching. This is what a disciple does. A disciple strengthens their grip on the word of God. There's a great illustration that I've shared with you guys that, that I love. The illustration of the hand. That there's five ways that you and I intake the word of God. We listen to the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we listen to the word of God. We're, we're also to read the word of God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, John was told, blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy. There's blessing that comes with the reading of God's word. Uh, another way we take in the word of God is this, is we study the word of God. We study it. Acts chapter 17 tells us about the Bereans. And the Bereans were called noble people because they did this. They just didn't accept everything they heard. They went home, opened their Bibles, And they said, "Is the stuff we're being taught true?" And they dug for themselves, and they were called noble people. The fourth way we uh, take in the Word of God is we memorize the Word of God. Julie read to us this morning from Psalm chapter 119, verse 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your Word? I've hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I've memorized the Word of God. So. So listen, I read it, I study it, I memorize it. And the fifth is this, it allows you to really get your grip. You meditate on the word of God. Joshua was told to do that. The Lord said to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all, to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. It's interesting, just that relationship between, for Joshua and for you and I, between what we meditate and the direction of our lives. What we set our minds upon and, and the application of living for the Lord. Um, Joshua is told, if you meditate on my word, then you'll do what I tell you to do and you're gonna have success. Your life, that's biblical success actually. You know, whatever the world tells you success is, money in the bank account, the house, the car you drive, the spouse you're married to, whatever it is, that's not Bible success. Bible success is this, that you meditate on the word of God because then you are led to a life of obedience. And understanding and, and application is always the goal to get a grip. Jesus said, hold to my teaching if you're really my disciples. And you gotta hold on. It's like, and you gotta apply the word of God to, to your life because unapplied truth, they say this, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. Unapplied paint doesn't do anybody any good. Gotta get the color on the wall. The value of the paint is in application. Get it on the wall. And that's the word of God. Get it, get it in your life. That's success, and Jesus says, "You you will know if you hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Jump back with me to Hebrews chapter five. I got to move here, so I'm going to move. <laughs> it's on the screen though too. Hebrews chapter five, verse eleven to fourteen. This author goes on. He talks about this maturing process. He says, "This about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers." You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Jesus said this, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Meaning this, you will have the ability to distinguish what is right and wrong. The writer of Hebrews says this, right there at the end that. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. You train yourself. It's practice. Those of us who love sports, it's practice. You know what you practice? So you can execute when game time comes. And we have, to, we have to train our discernment. We have to be trained by the word of God. We have to hold to the teaching so that we can recognize what's truth and what's false. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And so this writer of Hebrews says this. He says to live on milk, to just live on milk is to be unskilled. So athletes, worst, worst nightmare, to be unskilled. <laughs> you know, you've done that. You've gone out and, the game. If you put me on a basketball court, I'm totally unskilled. Sucks. Put me on the ice, I'm, I'm okay. But you want to you be skilled. And so I want to ask you this: like, what are you practicing? You, you got to practice your grip. You got to work on your strength. You gotta hold to the word of God. Uh, d- disciples do this. Disciples meditate on the word of God, they take hold of the word of God, they practice the word of God, they apply it to their life like paint on a wall. Fourth stage of spiritual growth is this in Hebrews chapter, or, sorry, Matthew chapter 9. You can jump there. It's on the screen though too. That's a harvest worker. Jesus said to the, his, those who were with him, he, uh, the disciples, then he said to them, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field. So here's what I noticed first about that scripture verse. Who is Jesus speaking to? His disciples. So this is, these are the inner guys. The inner guys. He's speaking, speaking to them, not brothers, not infants, mature guys, disciples. And he says, guys, there's a problem. Here's the problem. The harvest there's just an amazing harvest out there. We don't have workers. And the solution, guys, is this. Pray. Pray earnestly. Pray for laborers. Pray for harvest workers. See, see, a harvest worker wants to make disciples. It's a transition a church always needs to make. Look, at our goal is not to win people to the kingdom of God. That's important. Our goal is to make disciples. We get them to the entry point, but we want to move them forward. We want to move everybody forward towards discipleship. That's what a harvest worker wants to do. That's what the instruction of the Great Commission is. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Not believers. Make disciples of all nations. And observe them. I uh, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The goal is disciples. And so Jesus says, the solution for the harvest is that you pray and that you pray earnestly. That's interesting, pray earnestly. You know, the scripture tells us about Jesus' earnest prayer. In in Luke chapter 10, he said this, the same thing again. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Luke chapter 22 tells us about when Jesus prayed earnestly. That he was in agony as he prayed earnestly. That his sweat became like great drops of blood and he prayed more earnestly. Paul told the Thessalonian church that he prayed earnestly for them day and night, that he could see them face to face, and that he could supply what was lacking in their faith. And so we're to pray. To, we're to pray. And so this is the fourth the fourth stage. We got we got a baby, an infant. We got a growing Christian, a mature disciple, and a harvest worker, a laborer. And to me. What's interesting is the characteristic of a laborer is this, a laborer prays. A disciple holds and a laborer prays. Prays earnestly. And then one last one. The non-Christian. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 says this. The spiritual reality for those who don't know Jesus is this, is that they're dead. Uh, Paul says to the Ephesians, you were dead. You were dead in sin. You were dead in your trespasses. You were following the course and the pattern and the pathway of this world. It was fleshly. It was carnal. You were subject to your flesh. You were subject to your mind. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You were sons and daughters of disobedience. Those are strong words. But he says, that's what you were. Remember that? That's what you were. You were once among them. You were once children of wrath, living for the passions of the flesh. You were once enslaved to the desires of the flesh and the mind. That's like past tense. You were once that in times past, in the old days, in, in, in former times. You were a child of wrath, but now the gospel has intersected your life and you've been born again. You've been transformed. You heard about God's love for you. You heard about how mankind is separated from their maker because of sin. You heard about Jesus and Jesus' great love and how he came on the Father's mission and he gave his life on the cross to save us from our sins and died on that cross, took in himself the punishment for sin, was buried and raised from the dead and you heard that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you trust him and believe on the work of the cross and confess him as Lord, you will be saved. And you moved forward, you were born again and you entered onto a new path and a new direction. And so the pathway forward is this. Can you go to the next one, Calvin? Baby, growing Christian, maturing in discipleship and becoming a harvest worker, a laborer for the kingdom of God. So let me just ask you a couple quick questions we'll wrap up. Where are you? Where are you at? And maybe secondly, where would you like to be? Where, where would you like to be? You know, actually, we ask a question all the time, like, in our culture. We ask it of ourselves. We go, oh, how am I doing spiritually? I actually don't think that's the greatest question. You know where we say, well, if I enter this pathway, like what am I going to get out of this? Jesus never asked that. Jesus never said, well, let me think, Lord. What am I going to get out of this? He said, Lord, whatever your will is, I'll do it. I'll go. The wrong question or the wrong goal, let's say the wrong goal leads to the wrong question. So I want to, I want to just preface everything I've s- said with something else here, button it up. And, and that's this. There's a mistake of thinking in Christianity that one day you arrive. It's like, uh, one day I'll break the sound barrier. I'll be awesome. I'll reach another plane of Christianity. I'll look down on the rest of you. Like, wow, you should come up here and join me. I'm so amazing. Sharing the gospel with everyone and being a harvest laborer and this and that. Look at that. Like that's a mistake. We go. Oh well. What about Enoch? You know, Enoch like walked with God and then he was no more. He broke the spiritual sound barrier. Look at. That's not what discipleship is. It's not about arriving at a destination. So I want to remove that thinking from your head. I want to try to do that. Discipleship is this. It's not one day i arrive it's every day i die every day i die that's what jesus said pick up your cross daily and follow me and so to follow jesus is that decision to say okay i'm going to die i'm going to die on this pathway and i'm going to just i'm going to follow you jesus And, and discipleship is choosing to learn from jesus like i said how he would live my life. I choose to follow. I choose to learn. I choose to apprentice, to submit. Like if Jesus was a plumber, what kind of plumber would he be? If Jesus worked at the pulp mill, what kind of pulp mill worker would he be? If Jesus was a commuter... He had to go into this, what would that look like? How would Jesus live my life if he was living my life, if I died? If Jesus worked in the school system, what kind of teacher would he be? Or this, if Jesus was a son, what kind of son would he be? If Jesus was a parent, what kind of parent would Jesus be? See, those are discipleship questions. Hey, Lord, I'll apprentice. I'll learn. I'll get on the path. Look, church, we're here to make Jesus look good. That's why we exist in this community, to make Jesus look like the king of kings that he is, the savior that he is. It's not about us looking good. It's about Jesus looking good. And here's the thing. On the pathway of discipleship, you will spend 95, 99% of the time doing real ordinary stuff like dishes, like, you know, cleaning up at home, whatever, being a parent. Like, following Jesus is ordinary, but he can be glorified in the ordinary. And sometimes you get to participate with him in the supernatural and the extraordinary. And so church, let's go from asking how am I doing to saying, Jesus, how could you be so good to me? I'm just gonna follow you. You're amazing. I love you. Because it's not one day we arrive, it's every day we die. And so the reason why uh, this morning I just want to look at this pathway for discipleship is not to make you feel bad. Oh man, I suck. There I am on the list, wherever. But so that we could say, Jesus, I want to join you on a pathway. I want to die. I want to go in your direction. I want to be the man or the woman you're calling me to be. Because when you, when you, Become like Jesus, you fulfill your life purpose. That's why you exist. That's why Jesus called you into spiritual life, so that you'd become like him, that he'd be glorified. And when you become that, as you become that, the people around you, too, you know, like the Lord just blesses that. And so, yeah, unapplied truth like unapplied paint doesn't do anybody good, any good. The value is the application. Where are you? Where would you like to be? And so this morning as we talk about the pathway of discipleship, next week I'm, I'm going to do this and then we'll get back to our usual stuff. I'm going to I'm going talk about the picture of a disciple. We're going to look closer at the characteristics uh, of, of a disciple. Let's pray. Would you guys stand with me?